0: Programming notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of July 3rd, 2022. The meetup is back, baby. On July 7th at 10 p.m. IST, 6.30 p.m. CEST, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, we have ABN AMRO presenting on their learnings from four years of doing distributed data with a focus on kind of what they've learned and where they, they've they headed with their architecture and their data platform. So this, if people are familiar with uh, Pete Hein Strangholt's book of doing uh, our data management at scale, they've been doing distributed data even before um, JMAC's book or her first article came out. So they've learned a lot of <laughs> some good and maybe some uh, some approaches to, to avoid as well. So This is again, my call out for more people to make very specific asks for content. Don't ask them of me in general, put them in the Slack, ask people you've read, heard, or seen present about some of the aspects of data mesh to create content around the questions you have, right? There are so many articles that keep coming out that are here is what is data mesh, or here's like this thing that's been covered 15 different times. Okay, you want a definition of what is a data product? All of you start asking the people that have presented, the people who are public, what is their exact definition internally? How do they explain it internally to people? What do you want? Go out of your way to ask for it. If all you are doing is passively passively waiting for information to come your way, then you are being the old school data warehouse report consumer, right? And we want to move away from that model. So don't be that yourself. Or you're just going to have vendors that vendor wash data mesh, you know, and put out things like the streaming data mesh, which isn't a thing. You want people to actually help answer your questions, then be very public in specifically going out and working with them to say, here are the five questions I would want answered in an article. Put that out there, put that into the world. The community in general is always in need of more help as well. So if you want to contribute, I encourage you to just start doing things. You do not need my approval. I do not own the community in any sense other than being kind of the account owner on the Slack and the the newsletter and, and meetup stuff. Like, you all have a voice, please leverage and flex it, right? If I if I don't agree with it, I have a voice too, and, and I can say I don't agree with it, but I'm not the voice of the community. I am not the one who knows everything. I am not, I'm just somebody who's going out and extracting information from other people and presenting it to you, right? We need more people to start to do um, things themselves. If you want to start a meetup in your country, get in touch, right? We, we had the Netherlands meetup uh, last week or two weeks ago, and that went really, really well because we had somebody who ran with it. And now there's a big, big interest in people from the Netherlands to actually have a meetup, um, a more regular one. So if you want that in your country, start to do that. I'm not really somebody who loves to do in-person meetups. So um, if you want to run with one, Get in touch and I will help enable you. So, on to the uh, quick bits about the episodes this week. So, on Monday, we're going to have episode number 96 The Power of Empowerment and Driving Business Value, Data Mesh at Roche, which is with Omar uh, Kawaja. So Omar shares a lot of really great learnings from Roche's journey so far at, at very large scale. And I think a lot of it will help anyone out that is considering or implementing data mesh. Their work to prevent duplication of data, and data work is especially relevant, but it's just across the board of doing something at that large of scale with that strong of intentionality. Um, I think a lot of people can take a lot of really interesting learnings from that. On Tuesday, we'll have episode number 97 what is a mesh data product to the business owners and users, which is Mesh Musings number 21. This is me on my soapbox, talking about how we need to start seeing clear definitions of what is a mesh data product for domain owners and the subject matter experts and the people not overly data literate, those business users. If we're only talking about what is the actual technical manifestation and the APIs and the infrastructure as code and all of that, we're missing out on a huge important piece because the people who are actually owning the data products, if we don't explain to them what these are and why they matter, your implementation is just going to suffer for a long, long time. You're not going to reach the heights that you're looking for. On Friday, we'll have episode number 98, How to Nail Your Data Mesh Vendor Assessment a journey story, and this is with Jen Tedrow. So this is a subject so, so many people have wanted more content around. Jen shares how she and her client approached their data mesh vendor assessment and what made it so different. Why is data mesh vendor assessment so much different compared to a lot of uh, data vendor assessments? There are a lot of really useful insights into approaches and some pitfalls for doing a, a a data mesh vendor assessment. I think you'll learn a lot from this one. So enjoy the week. And while America seems to be truly falling apart, I hope you other Americans can take a bit of time to reflect this holiday week as well, and uh, that we can hopefully at least move forward with doing distributed data, even in the face of some of the bigger challenges that are going on in the world. Thank you. Extended summary for episode 98, How to Nail Your Data Mesh Vendor Assessment, A Journey Story, which is an interview with Jen Tedrow. So in this episode, I interviewed Jen, a product management consultant at Pathfinder Product Labs, who's currently working with a large client on a data mesh implementation. She was only representing her own views and perspectives in this episode, to be clear. Jen has done a number of vendor assessments in the past, but this one was a doozy. There isn't a ton of information yet about how to do data mesh really well, especially the platform side. So it is difficult to assess exactly what capabilities you need. There are still a number of gaps in vendor offerings when you do know what capabilities you require to meet. So that is more difficult. Then add in that you are likely bringing on multiple new vendors at once and making sure they play nicely together and with your existing technology stack. And then there is your budget. So as mentioned, it was a doozy. So overall, Jen's role in this was trying to account for specifically four different capabilities of the self-serve platform. Data discoverability, provisioning, observability and quality, and finally, access control. For Jen, in most vendor assessments, there is a much tighter scope around what you are trying to assess. e.g. looking for a streaming technology or looking for an integration provider. But with the data mesh platform, there are so, so many moving pieces. It was a very unique and difficult challenge to find a good harmonious match to cover as much of the needs for now and to work with vendors to grow together to cover future needs as well. There was just so many moving parts. Jen used a framework she's used for vendor as- assessments historically of number one, discover, number two, align, and number three, assess. The goal in general is to answer what is important now and where do we need to go? And then does a certain offering help us address both of those points, you know, the now and the future? But the big difference with this assessment was how much more time was spent on the discovery phase. Discovery, in general, can be challenging for a few reasons, per gen. One is that people want to move quickly, make that decision, and just plow forward. But that can often lead to not picking a good direction and creating hard-to-pay-down tech debt in the future. So investing the time to understand all of your needs slash wants is crucial. Digging deep into stakeholders' desired outcomes has a few benefits. First, you know what you need to deliver. And second, you know how to drive by in By addressing the challenges, preventing those teams from their desired outcomes, they've kind of told you how you can get them bought in by serving the the pain points that they they told you about. So Jen stressed, as many past guests have, the importance of leading with empathy when working on anything data mesh related. Change is on the horizon for everyone, and change is inherently painful. When leading with empathy, stakeholders and users alike have been very willing to share with Jen their challenges and where they want to go with in the future with data. So it leading with empathy really opened the conversations up much more. One key question was, why are we spending this time to, together? It's an important question to answer Jen, the people you interview will be more willing to openly share if you spend your time ris- listening rather than trying to sell. Make them feel seen and hurt. Spend the time to reflect back what someone said. Let them know where you weren't just hearing, but actually listening and talk with them about what is the current state and what is their desired state. And of course, let them know that implementing data mesh isn't a threat to their jobs. This is one that's kind of hidden beneath in a lot of these conversations, but I think it's good to get explicit about it. Per gen, you may not be able to give everyone their desired state, especially in the initial implementation phase. I think we all know that, but it's good to to kind of be upfront about that. But understanding why they want that certain capabilities, might make it easier to deliver something of value to them, if not the actual ideal. That's that collaborative negotiation I've talked about historically. And then spend time with the stakeholders to constantly share what you are learning so it isn't a sudden recommendation at the end of an evaluation process. That constant feedback lets people know why you are making the decisions you are making and the recommendations. Right now, pretty much no matter what capabilities you are looking for in, data, in a data mesh platform as part of a vendor assessment, expect gaps per gen. Jamak has mentioned this frequently too. I've, I've said it as well. There's just a lot of capabilities that to do data mesh really well, they're not out there yet. So do you have to build or do you wait to buy? It is important to evaluate what is necessary and what is nice to have now? And then what will be that necessary down the road? Will the vendors or offerings you are looking at be able to grow into those gaps over time to meet future needs too? You kind of have to, as Doran uh, parat said in her episode, you kind of have to make bets. You have to really just say, I believe that this vendor or this open source offering or whatever is heading in the direction I need it to. One aspect that made this assessment so different for Jen was that vendor assessments are typically looking for a single or some logically bundled capabilities, and doing a vendor bake off or you know against open source technologies or whatever. It is based on kind of those known knowns, but for Data Mesh right now there had to be so much more discovery work. It was crucial to focus on what stakeholders really value. For Jen and team right now, that was kind of lowering the bars and friction to usage, so the user experience was really crucial, as was being able to stitch solutions together without a ton of custom work, and then as well the uh, data discoverability. For Jen, a few requirements really came to the surface as crucial. Again, that user experience was one. Automation was another. How could they make creating and managing a data product an easy transition, or at least as easy as possible? What worked well for Jen and team to really understand what capabilities were actually crucial was focusing very much on task-based high-level use cases without involving any necessary systems requirements. It meant they could focus much more on what needed to get accomplished instead of kind of tying things to specific examples that had more custom needs. Doing this created a very clear picture of what they actually needed across multiple use cases. When thinking about how to adapt data mesh to your organization, Jen recommends looking at what has worked and even more closely at what hasn't worked in past tool and process implementations specifically in your organization. What caused failures so you can look to avoid going down the same path? There are so many potential areas of friction in a data mesh implementation. Do your due diligence to find common failure patterns to your organization and really pay attention to avoid them. Jen talked about how a successful data mesh implementation will really be about the intersection of people, process, and technology. You need to be including good change management principles into everything you touch. And make sure people understand that this will be iterative. This isn't a one and done. And it won't be perfect from day one, but you're going to be listening and improving along the way. So kind of share that journey concept with them. To drive momentum, Jen recommends highlighting loudly and often early adopter success. It shows that you are adding value but also rewards your early adopters. That hopefully spurs others forward to move forward in their data mesh participation as well. And be honest with everyone that doing something like data mesh will involve change, and change is painful. Jen and I discussed what use cases to look for in your early journey, and Jen recommended balancing three factors. What will be impactful? what is possible, and who is willing to partner with you. It's important to show those early successes to keep the funding coming, as data mesh is not a single upfront cost. It requires continuous investment. So again, this is an important thing of when you're looking at what should be your initial data product or few data products to really think in that framework. Jen recognizes as well how lucky she is to have a leader that is sharing their vision widely, driving buy-in and aligning strategy on data mesh with business partners to make it successful for all parties. A big crucial aspect is that teams have enough time carved out to actually create data products. Without this, incentivization is tough. And they're also constantly looking to raise the visibility and amplify those wins again. For Jen, it's been important to repeatedly paint a compelling vision in many conversations. It's fine to be a bit repetitive. You might find the really great phrasing that you want to use in that eighth or ninth time that you've been talking about the same thing. Share the current picture and then talk about what it could become. This is uh, important to making participants, you know, quote unquote, willing to accept the pain of change. You want to develop a symbiotic, mutually beneficial relationship with those early adopters. Participating in data mesh has to be a win for them, too. And teams aren't ready to just adopt data mesh. You need to create the processes to support and enable them. Jen wrapped up the conversation, reiterating a few points about your vendor assessment process. Number one, be prepared to spend more time on discovery than you probably think is necessary going in, because it will highlight the pain points and capabilities that are most crucial. Number two, focus on task-based use cases when considering necessary capabilities. Keep the systems out of it. Number three, really spend the time to understand your sourcing process as well internally you might do your assessment and say, this is what we're going to buy. And then it, if you haven't really figured out your sourcing process, it could add a significantly more time to what you're trying to do. Number four, it's okay to have very frank discussions with vendors. Look to spend your and their time wisely and share your hard constraints and requirements. And number five, constantly reflect back your progress and learnings in your assessment along the way and especially share the results of the assessment broadly to continue to share that information and drive by and, and show that you were listening. And, you know, even if you weren't, even if you put in there, we were trying to hit these 10 points and we could only hit these eight. If somebody sees that their one point wasn't hit, they may be disappointed, but they'll they're not as likely to be frustrated because you showed that it's still important and this is how you're gonna try and get there in the future. Extended summary for episode 96, The Power of Empowerment and Driving Business Value, Data Mesh at Roche, an interview with Omar Kawaja. So in this episode, I interviewed Omar, who is the head of business intelligence at Roche Diagnostics. And to be clear, Omar was only representing his own viewpoints and learnings, not necessarily those of Roche. So Omar started the conversation with a definition of what business intelligence means to him and how it has evolved from a mostly reports-based function or, or you know, that kind of descriptive analytics to include predictive analytics and then prescriptive analytics. But monolithic approaches like enterprise data warehouse, data lake, et cetera, just haven't led to great outcomes for many, you know, most large organizations. Omar quoted the the famous Einstein quote of, Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So why keep trying to throw technology and a monolithic architecture at growing data and analytics challenges? So in 2020, Omar was happy to help evaluate if decentralization could work in data for Roche. They moved to a domain-aligned model with the business intelligence, analytics, and data engineers, at least those not building the the platform, moving into the domains. That way, they they could become the people who knew the data best, including the business context. They could help to shape and develop the data products. For Omar, the way most analytics work has been done historically and how people have thought about analytics work in general the outcome of analysis itself is the focus. So if you build a dashboard, an analyst creating a dashboard might spend all their time focusing on the dashboard with little to no thought about the fragility of the inputs to the dashboard or how <laughs> the underlying data may change and they may not know it and it may break the dashboard because the information inside it is actually wrong. You know What does happen if that upstream data changes? In data mesh, the dashboard is an output of data work that is more easily created and managed because the analyst knows the upstream will be maintained as a product. And even if there are changes, there is communication about those impending changes, if you're doing data mesh right. <laughs> and they might be able to reuse the data in another analysis. So, you know, it's it's not so much about one off. This is the output of my work. It's, it's about creating that reuse. Regarding roles needed in domains for data mesh, Omar gave the incredibly common data mesh answer of it depends. There needs to be an owner who understands the data as a product concept, not just creating data products, as the lifecycle of data is crucial to doing data mesh well. But each domain and each data product has different needs. So focus on building the cross-disciplinary team needed to take care of the job now and in the future, and not on the exact compos- composition of each team. The Use cases aren't cookie cutter. Why make the team's cookie cutter? You shouldn't look to have every team look the same, right? <laughs> what do you need? And what are the capabilities of the team? And can they actually serve what they need to do? At Roche, for many domains, the initial data product design is done by a senior architect, but the data product development is done by a data engineer, possibly called an analytics engineer. But if there isn't a need for extensive data engineering for that data product, it can be developed by a data or business analyst or software engineer. The role title doesn't end up mattering. The team capabilities and the needs do. Design with your data consumers in mind. Per OMAR, for all organizations, there is some kind of existing analytics practice, or kind of what people call brownfield. It is important to leverage what you've built historically, both the types of analytics and and the team. You might have great insight into what information customers want. And many of the people involved in the data warehouse or data lake can evolve into a role that is highly valuable in data mesh. They probably know your data quite well. But it is crucial that they understand why they need to evolve and are given the resources and time to do that. Echoing many previous guests, Omar said to focus on the outcomes in data mesh, not the exact structure. Empower your teams to figure it out and enable them to do the work, especially via the data platform. The role of the quote unquote citizen data scientist has never really worked. Now we can focus on giving many more people access to information and insights, not just access to data with little to no context. And sharing across the company is crucial to finding scalable, repeatable practices and patterns. At ThoughtWorks State of Data Mesh Conference, Omar presented how each of the four pillars uh, or principles of data mesh represents mind, body, heart, and soul. Digging into data as a product, or the heart of data mesh in Omar's analogy, there is far more than just creating data products. He shared Roche's learnings in data product discovery. How do you figure out what data products you need? What are the expected outcomes from creating this data product? Who is going to use it? How? Omar discussed the need for a real mindset shift to understand data as a product specifically. It doesn't come naturally for most people. So you need very conscious change management. And like many other have said, change management and organizational challenges will almost certainly take take considerably more of your time in a data mesh implementation than you expect, even with me warning you about this. (laughs) And it's not shoving people forward or dragging them. It's taking them by the hand and working with them to find a good way forward. Once they feel the empowerment, Omar is seeing many people really like this new way of working. And they're focused on continual value delivery instead of that project one-off type of value creation that, that I talked about earlier. When Omar joined Roche a couple of years, his first big task was forming the data strategy. Should they just do a data lake in the cloud? Was that transition working well for most organizations? The answer for him was no. And he repeated about the definition of insanity, trying to do the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? If all they did was take their data lake from on-prem to the cloud, wouldn't they just probably have the same issues in general that they had on-prem in the cloud? If they were having quality issues and ownership issues and even scaling issues, maybe the cloud may be able to handle the scale, maybe not, but you know that kind of, just lift and shift. It you need a rethink of how you do data. So he took a lot of inspiration from the book Think Again by Adam Grant. There was a lot uh, the organization needed to unlearn and relearn. So like really reassess. Why are we doing this? Should we continue to do this? Ask those questions. And when COVID nineteen hit. It forced organizations to get much better at communication and collaboration. So data mesh was a great fit. You know, they were already embracing decentralization at Roche. Omar talked about how data mesh was one of the aspects of their data strategy, but only one aspect. The overall goal was and is: how do we become data-driven or data-informed as a company? You should start from that why. Why consider data mesh? What are you trying to achieve? Is it worth it? These are questions you need to ask and really, really think about and then answer. This set of questions should also apply to everyone's day-to-day work in a data mesh implementation, You know, according to Omar. Again, focus on outcomes. What are you actually trying to deliver? Is it just a dashboard or are you trying to deliver the insights that dashboard will kind of create in people's minds? Omar recommended the Lean Value Tree approach as one way to focus your time. I hadn't heard of this, but Dave Coles had talked about it in his episode as well. So there's a link in the show notes if you want to learn more about the Lean Value Tree approach. Omar returned to the concept of product mindset and product thinking in data. What value are you trying to deliver? Then how much value do you expect it will deliver? Then how will we measure if we are successful? then were we successful in delivering that expected value? A big part of all of this is the discovery process. Drive towards a business-focused discussion about outcomes. So many things with data, you know listen to Jean-Michel Coyer's episode. So many things with data get bogged down in the technical instead of what are we actually trying to do? And if we're headed in a direction that's not, aligning to that end focus, why are we doing that? We should stop and rethink. In Omar's view, no one will get really everything correct, much less in something as large as and complex and new as data mesh. It's okay to make mistakes. That's part of learning. But you need to get to a good enough place and then move forward. Measure along the way and adjust. It's a journey. There will be trials and tribulations along the way. Learn from them and adjust. Collaborate and move forward together. Don't allow yourself to get stuck. Don't let analysis paralysis take you and and really not let you move forward. In Roche's early journey, they found some teams were duplicating work. So they came up with a, a good solution to this and they they what they learned was they should provide very early visibility into plans about what teams are going to create to prevent those teams from spending time on the same things the data product discovery and design phases are now quite public and that's worked well you know instead of teams duplicating work you know team A may see see that team B is is doing this work that they were going to do and instead Team A is an early consumer of what Team B is doing. And so they can then move forward and get more value out of what they were going to do instead of having to create that same data product. So I I think this is a, it's a simple feeling approach, but it's also very valuable. Communication is super crucial to preventing duplication of work. So many people try and solve it with technology. I think that's just going to get you in trouble. So in wrapping up, Omar again reiterated to focus on what you are trying to deliver, what is the value, and that it's okay to move forward with an incomplete picture. You'll make some mistakes, but prepare to learn and adjust and just get to making progress. That's pretty sound advice in in my view. If you want just kind of my nine-point summary, that's at the start of the episode that will be released later this week.